When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Welcome to episode 281 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, and today I am joined by a man that I'm surprised has never been on the show, but he's here because he covers Atletico Madrid and Adafi and not Real Madrid. It's Sam Leverage. How's it going, Sam? Hi, Dan. It's good to be here. I'm glad to, to finally get on after listening for so long and, and to have a chat with you. Yeah, I'm almost taken aback. I was flattered. When any, I, whenever I bring someone, let's say, outside the Barca world on and they were a former listener or, or our listener, I'm always taken aback. But I have brought Sam on as an unbiased viewer of the Liga race, or at least a bias towards the team that won it last year who does deserve the bias. Uh, <laughs> the and they do deserve Hunter, some credit. Yeah. But before we get there to Atletico Madrid, I know it was days ago already, but I want to start with the Barcelona versus Athletic Club draw. That being, you know, 1-1 after a, a grueling affair, 90 minutes. And Sam, you know, Sitting from the outside looking in, we know that Barca is a team in transition. We know that there is a learning process afoot, if you will. But sometimes I like to just compliment another competent La Liga team. And I made the claim that if Athletic Club had played like that against any La Liga team, they would have gotten two points minimum and beat most teams. Do you agree with that assessment or do you think that's a bit of my Barca bias showing? Yeah, no, I think that's a that's a fair assessment. I mean, Athletic were brilliant. I mean, they were they were very tactically well organized. They were pretty reliable. I mean, they didn't make any mistakes, and that's basically what you need, isn't it, against teams like Barcelona, to know that you're not going to slip up and and just have that one moment of of stupidity that costs you the points. And I think they did really well. I mean, Barcelona always a tough team to play against, but I think Athletic, if they play like that every week, then they'll be fighting for Europe at the very least. Yeah, but Sam, we know that Athletic Club will not be 
playing like that every week. The way they've shown over the last decade that even under well, this Marcelino, is problem, isn't it? Yeah. right? They they almost confused us last year with the when once he took over and they were flying high. Then you look at the results at the end of the spring and you go, I mean, no wonder that they always just barely finish in the top 10, but they also are never going to be relegated because they have enough support at this MMS. They just, they take care of business with the altitude in the Pyrenees mountains and they get enough to get over the line every single time. Exactly. Yeah. And kind of looking at the stats, if you looked at the ESG, XG numbers, when they had guys like Caritano, they were kind of performing way worse than you'd expect them to. And then Marcelina came in and they were playing way better than you'd expect them to. So like, come on, Athletic, just give us like what we should expect. Just a few weeks of average performances and let's see what you're actually like as a team. Yeah, I mean, that's why I think they are number eight. I mean, that's why in the preseason prediction, I said there's basically a one through eight and then there's a bottom 12. And I think that they are firmly number eight in that in that top eight, if you will. But now yeah, talking about the Barca part of that, it seems like it was Memphis to be the left winger when he was originally brought in. But now we see him a lot through the middle because he, of all the Barcelona forwards that are on that roster, he is the best holdup play, clearly. So you're going to put him in the middle of the park for that. With Griezmann on the right and floating into the center, and Griezmann has obviously been, and he will be, continue to always be a talking point as far as his best position or the lack of his worst position at the top. And then Brothwaite on the left, basically keeping that spot warm for when Fatih and for Kool-Aid, you want some good news? Fatih returned to light training today. So this is a monumental day. It's almost been 300 days since he was entered against Real Betty. So hopefully when he returns in about a month's time or less, again, it's basically Brothwaite keeping that spot warm. But what have you seen from the front three so far for Barcelona that might give you hope or also might give you some concern? Well, Memphis has kind of exceeded all expectations for me. I mean, I saw him, I was at the preseason game when he made his debut up against Girona. And then he came on then and kind of really established himself kind of as like, I'm the guy, I'm here, I'm going to save Barcelona this season. It was like, well, this guy's confident. He looks kind of really kind of the kind of thing that Barcelona have lacked a little bit other than Lionel Messi, kind of the the confidence to kind of take men on, pick up the ball deep and just carry it and say, look, I'm going to try and do something. Let's see what happens. So that's been really good with Memphis. I think he's been brilliant so far. I think kind of creation and also finishing off. I mean, the finish against Athletic was was a, a powerful shot, to say the least. Then the others, I mean, Rathwaite, it's, it's so hard to say. Uh, Real Sociedad, he was, he was very good. I mean, kind of the, the Rathwaite that we saw at Leganes where he could kind of finish chances off, bit of a poacher in the box and on almost what Barcelona needs to kind of get in the box when teams are sitting deep and, and be able to finish chances. And then Antoine Griezmann, well, he's Antoine Griezmann, right? Where does he fit into this team? You kind of expected that with no Messi, he would be the one to step up. Maybe he'd be the one to play that false nine a bit more like the role he played at Atletico. And it's not, it's gone to Memphis. So Griezmann, what role he plays, where he fits in, it's, it's very hard to tell. But I don't think that right wing drifting in role is necessarily going to get the best out of him. Yeah, I agree with that. And at the end of the day, for Griezmann, it comes down to those numbers that people want to see. And can he deliver on those numbers? So if he finishes the year with 20 goals, or if he finishes with, I mean, last year he was 12 in the Liga, but if he finishes with 14 the Liga goals, then likely he's done enough on the defensive side of the ball as well to shore up that defense. And as we spoke about, even losing Messi with Fatih returning, hopefully, even, even if Fatih returned at 50% of his best, you, you do believe that there's enough goals in that attack to get Barcelona in this race, in the title race, and potentially get them on the line. But defensively, that's where the worries are. Then you had PK on the left after more than a decade playing as the right center back. And then Eric Garcia Araujo on the right, Langley or Umtiti on the left. But really, it's they're the, at this point, I think the fourth and the fifth center backs, and they're both the only two left footed on the, on the roster. Then Neto is a top shot stopper and decision maker, but his feet can't necessarily do what he wants them to do. And we saw that against Athletic Club that it just, it, it's not going to work. But 
to me, I, I've been kind of been pushing down the kicking the can down the road that Neto every week, he shows me that I think he deserves to be the number one shop stopper at a, I mean, at another club that another club yeah. would be happy to have him between the sticks um, because he just, his feet don't necessarily fit what Barca needs. And then the, the talking point I think comes out away from Eric Garcia. And this is where my bias shows because I've been a staunch defender of Eric Garcia and whether it was the personal matters with his grandfather passing away right prior to kickoff. And then I also would argue on the other side that Inaki Williams is going to make almost anyone look silly when he's moving like that. I don't think there's any defender. It's basically what Kareem Benzema and then Inaki Williams as number nines who are going to cause a ton of damage. And we'll see what Luis Suarez has this year and Gerard Moreno as well, but he's winger and forward, right? So just when I say number nines, I think you think Kareem Benzema and Naki Williams. Yeah, I mean, and Yaki Williams, we've seen him trying to tear Gerard Piquet apart a few times, and that was Piquet kind of at his best. And Mm -hmm. I mean, the pace, the strength, yeah, he can't finish, but if he could finish, then he'd have 30, 40 goals a season. Yeah, and and, and for Garcia, I mean, being tasked with Naki Williams, I don't know how many times in the Liga he's going to have such a difficult one-on-one personal assignment. So I, I think the... I, I, is he ready for the big time yet? Absolutely not. I, I mean, but I also don't think his physical limitations, which we've seen so far, are not going to improve or to get better. He's never going to be Araujo, but he's also not going to be. I mean, he had a disastrous game. I can admit, as someone who defends in it, it was a, dis, you know, they, the Twitter likes to say a disaster class. But yeah, it was one that he's going to forget. But it was also, I think, a low point in the young player's career. And he's only going to get up from there. I think that's, a, I mean, I don't want to be too crazy, but I mean, they, they scored one goal. I mean, it was one goal that let the club put, and he was partially at fault for it. I mean, not even partially. He was 80% at fault. He lost his marker, <laughs> and Inigo Martinez headed home the goal. But even being culpable for the one goal, I think that might be one of the worst performances we see from him, and I'll take that. Yeah, no, I kind of share a similar point of view, to be honest to you. I mean, I think he's a very good player. I mean, I think people are forgetting almost that he's kind of a 20-year-old kid who basically didn't play for the last 12 months so that he could force through this Barcelona move. Finding out his grandfather's died minutes before kickoff, that's got to be tough on anyone, any experience, any age. And this is only his second appearance for Barcelona, only second appearance in, in this back four, I mean, alongside Gerard Pique. So he's still learning, he's still very young, he's still going to improve a lot. And I mean, yeah, okay, it wasn't his best day. And they were kind of the momentary lapses of concentration. I think that's where the goal came from, because watching it back, first time I watched it back, I almost thought maybe that wasn't Eric Garcia's man, because you saw him so close to Danny Bibian. He was screening him and he thought, no, you, Eric Garcia can't have let himself be blocked off that much by Danny Vivian. And then you realise that he did, but it was just that kind of lapse of concentration that you think, okay, but for a 20-year-old kid who, who's in this context, the whole situation with his grandfather, you can't blame him for that. I mean, it's a tough one. And and maybe you think about Ronakuma, maybe that wasn't the back thought he wanted to go with it against Athletic Club, maybe in another day. With that news about Eric's grandfather, he makes that change. But knowing that Gerard Piquet is not 100%, you don't want to make that change and then have to risk making another change. And then all of a sudden, you've got your third and fourth choice centre-backs on the pitch when that wasn't the starting plan. You haven't trained for that all week. So I think Eric will will come good. I think he's shown some promising signs already. And I think, I mean, we forget that he's only 20 years old. I mean, this guy isn't going to be his best for another, what, six, seven years? And there's what, another 10, 12, 13 years that Barcelona can get out of him. So I think there's huge room for improvement. And he's not had a bad start. Athletic was a disastrous performance, but I think he'll learn from that and he'll take that and, and improve with it going forward. Yeah, if, if he's around for 13 years, I think it's risky for me to say that'll be his worst match. I think that uh, in 13 years, he might have a worse match. But I do put, yes, I, I do certainly put it on, on Ronald Koeman that Eric Garcia probably shouldn't have been in that position 
in that I would have started Araujo and I would have started Emerson even for Dest. I think Dest was hot and cold in that match. He was isolated a lot. And Frankie DeYoung, he was able to submit, not to say a masterclass, but Frankie DeYoung was the best player on the field. And that's one of the big reasons why he was 1-1. I think that game would have been worse if not for Frankie DeYoung. But he's being tasked with getting sideline to sideline to help Dest on overlaps and to defend for Dest. He was playing in the right back defensively uh, quite a lot because Dest would get forward. And then offensively, he was being tasked to dribble with the ball or to find the pass that would break the line. Or he was also being tasked with those diagonal balls to get to Pedri to the left side so he could open up space for Memphis. And yeah, DeYoung was, I mean, practically perfect in that match. And Barcelona are going to need him to be one of the top 10 midfielders in the world to contend for the Liga and to get far in Champions League and all those things. Yeah, and I do, again, pin it on Kuman a little bit for the decisions he made with the squad so far that he has. But I think for all the help there, I mean, for all the, the fear and the fire burning about Messi, the depth of Barcelona is why people have said that I don't know why they're not going to be in the league race because they do have the right. depth where if Langley is a fourth choice center back, that is perfectly fine for a club like Barcelona to have Clement Langley. The problem is when he is your second, when it's PK and they lay together and you have not much pace at all and you're caught out a lot on the counterattack because those profiles just don't fit together as both by age and by their, their physicality or, or their physical metrics, yeah. if you will. So, but having him as your fourth, I mean, I'll take that. I mean, even if Titi is your fourth, because there are calls, if he's going to stay at the club, I don't see how Titi and his ability to pass the ball isn't going to be, I mean, a fit. I mean, do you see him potentially winning that fourth center back or third center back if Eric Garcia falls down the depth chart? Do you find him potentially taking that spot from Langley? I don't think so. I mean, I quite like Langley. I mean, he's not the the elite center back that we hoped he might go on to become at Barcelona, but I think he's better than Titi. Titi as well. I mean, everyone says that his knees improved a lot, but I mean, just watching him when I was at the, the preseason game against Girona, watching him warm up, it was like he was very much going through the motions, walking around, very slow pace. So he's clearly managing himself to get in to the team. But I mean, again, I mean, if Umtiti is your fifth choice centre-back, you compare that to Real Madrid, for example. Who's Real Madrid's fifth choice centre-back? I mean, I don't even know if they have a fifth choice centre-back. So I think Barcelona do have that kind of squad depth. And, and Umtiti, I think he's got difficult chances, a slim of of him ever kind of playing too much this season, maybe the odd Copa del Rey game if he doesn't leave, but that is kind of representative of the squad depth that Barcelona have that maybe is very overpaid and everything, but maybe just for this season until they can shift all of the deadwood that could help them if there is a, a title challenge. When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's Pique and Puyol or PK and Mascherano, or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. <coughs> Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough, and as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy and all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content, 
everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. For sure. And I think as much as we're going to get to Real Madrid and Kool-Aid would love to hear all the negative things we have to say about Real Madrid. But first, I want to talk about the team that I think should be seen as a title favorite, who has the inside track. And when I looked and I'm watching all of these the last two weeks, I'm watching all of these, these matches. We'll talk to about Sevilla again after Real Madrid. But with the exception of Atleti and Sevilla, there are huge red flags, I think, for every team in the Liga. And you could argue that even Sevilla has some question marks themselves because of the way that they seem to perform sometimes. And we know that that eventual slide is coming and you, you can circle the, the ways of which that slide is going to come to fruition. But for Atletico Madrid, I wanted to particularly talk about their win against Elche. One nothing win against Elche. And I always feel bad because I, I do heap on Elche more than any other team. I just, I look up and down their talent. They're, I mean, they're so easy to do, yeah. and I go, how, <laughs> how are they going to survive? And yet last year they found a way to survive. And even this year, I look at Rio and compare them to Elche and say, Rio's more talented than Elche, but still Elche with their 0.17 XG in that match still had a shot against Atletico Madrid. And I think the more worrying sign for Atletico, but still it isn't worrying because Atleti by design, their expected goals in that game never went above 1.5. They were always going to win that match one nothing because Elche's was never more than 0.17. They always were prepared to win that match one nothing. But I think the worry is they won too many games last season through the resolve of Luis Suarez. He did win them a lot of points. And now you're trusting a 34-year-old striker who you don't know when that decline is coming. Uh, it looks like they do have Mateus Cunha, a Brazilian striker from Hertha Berlin coming in. And then it seems like Saul might not be back. And it seems like he might be headed to Premier League. That said, 
Rodrigo DePaul, the worry would be that he wasn't going to fit in, but that seems like a complete non-issue. He was probably the best player against Elche. And then yeah. the other worry would be Marcus Llorente not being able to repeat last season. Because for me, and I longtime Kool-Aid's of this pod know that Marcus Llorente is, I think in Spain, I, I'm, I, I'm just off the cuff of my cuff, the top of the head, I think he would be the player that I would take to want to bring to Barcelona more than any other. I just think he just... He's just a great footballer. He does so many things for you at a high level that I would trust him in any side to fit and, and do something. But he might not be able to repeat his second leading goal scorer on Atleti last year. Yeah, I'm fairly optimistic with Marco Trudente, to be honest. I mean, I think he's such an athlete, such a well-rounded player. I mean, we've seen him play almost everywhere. I mean, even on, on Sunday up against Elche, I mean, we saw him start the game at right back and he ended up as kind of a right forward so, I mean, it's very versatile with Marco Trudente. I think that kind of helps him because he can adapt his game. So, when he's not in the best run of form where his confidence is a bit lower, you see him kind of adapt his game, drop a little bit deeper, do something a bit different. I think last season was an extraordinary season for him because he outperformed all of his statistics. None of his statistics said that he would have as many goals or as many assists, but he did. So this season, I think it will be interesting to see where he will go long term. I think he's still got the option of, of doing that, maybe not quite to the same level of, of outperforming his statistics as he did last season, but I think he'll he'll do that. And then the concern for Atleti has got to be what you said. I mean, Luis Suarez, he's not getting any younger. He's a great striker. And, you know, if the ball falls his way, then he's going to finish it nine times out of ten. But how often is he going to be getting into those positions now? I mean, he had the Copa America in the summer, which I really don't think has helped him. So he came on uh, on Sunday, plays 30 minutes. And even by the end of that 30 minutes, he was looking worn out. It was like, come on, Luis. I mean, 30 minutes against Elche when you're 1-0 up. Like, <laughs> if you're struggling now, how are you going to be when it's 90 minutes against Real Madrid or Barcelona or, or Sevilla? So I think we need to see how Amadeus Cunha does when he comes in. But, but that's the challenge that Atleti have this season is we can't rely on Luis Suarez's goals. Even if it's just this season, maybe we can get away with it. But next season, Luis Suarez is going to be another year older. Maybe he's already left next summer. We need to have a long-term goal-scoring option, whether that's Mateus Cunha, uh, whether that's Jao Felix, and he steps up, which I'm optimistic for him as well. I think this season he could could really make his mark. But there's definitely that kind of role which is up for grabs. I think every other role in the Atleti squad, they've got kind of ticked off the goalkeeper, best in the world. Defenders, we've got plenty of full-backs, centre-backs, some of the best in La Liga midfielders, several different profiles and options. And then it's the forward where we really kind of need that, that player to step up. Yeah, and I think it was funny reading some of the preseason prognostications about how Atleti would potentially, you know, Diego Simeone is going to bring something new, a, a different wrinkle because they're now flying high. No, Diego Simeone was always going to play the same way. I think anyone who said otherwise was, <laughs> was out of their mind. Exactly, um, but yeah, do, yeah. I don't know. Do you think, Sam, that another year of just suffocating an opponent, even like an Elche where there were times against Elche that Atleti have 10 guys behind the ball. And I know that that's the way that they're going to win the title. It's just a difficult sell for me to say that that is going to work again and again and again, again. I mean, you're, you, we even saw against Elche that if they get a bit less lucky, if those expected, if, if they have seven or eight games where the opponent exceeds their expected goals. And I know they're not looking at just the metrics, but if they have seven or eight matches where the, 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 the other team overperforms their expected goals, now they have way more draws. And now Barcelona and Real Madrid have taken, you know, the two or three, because we know what's going to happen with, and now I transition to Real Madrid. We know what's going to happen to Real Madrid and to Barcelona. They're going to win some games by four or five, and they're going to 
be shocked on the road at Levante, right? Like that's what's exactly. going to happen yeah. this year to both of those two big giants. And for Real Madrid, Levante, uh, I mean, I, I don't know, actually, I want to stick on Atletico Madrid for just one second. I think it's unfair actually to move on. So Rodrigo DePaul, for what he means as a transfer, if this was any other year, a 35 million euro midfielder who, yes, was one of the best players in Serie A last year with Udinese, but yet it's not necessarily a glamour signing. But when you look at the transfers that came into La Liga this season, I think you said there was only four that were above 10 million euros. One went to Atleti, two to Sevilla, and then I think the third was uh, Vill- or two to Villarreal and uh, whatever it was, yeah. some kind of na- combination of Sevilla, Vill- Villarreal and Atleti. So Rodrigo de Paul winds up being maybe the most important new face in the Liga, which is just incredible to think unless Mbappe comes to Real Madrid next, year, next week. <laughs> yeah, ruins everything. Right. No, but I think with Rodrigo de Paul as well, it was a big signing for Atleti because it was a statement. I mean, Looking back to 2013-14 when, when Atleti won the league and that summer, I mean, Felipe Luis, Diego Costa went to Chelsea, uh, Diego Courtois left. I mean, all these kind of the key players, the core, the spine of that team, a lot of them moved on. This summer, Atleti have kept hold of everybody. I mean, people have spoken about Kieran Trippier, people have spoken about other players, but they haven't gone anywhere. They've all stayed. I mean, you mentioned before, Saul could leave, but Saul is more of a a rotation option, a bench player who can fill in rather than a starter over the last year or so for Atletico. So to keep hold of your stars, add in one of the best players in Serie A, one of the best players in the Copa America, it's a statement from Atletico. It's, uh, look, we're, we're here to actually compete and and we've managed ourselves financially, however it may be, that while Real Madrid and Barcelona can't and have to sell players, we can go out there and spend £35 million on Rodrigo de Paul. Maybe he's not a Kylian Mbappe, maybe he's not the best player in the world. He's a very good player, and I think we already seen the kind of thing that he can bring to Atletico. He's a very different profile for anybody else. His vision is incredible. I mean, in the past, Rangel Correa, there was another one to Dianic Carrasco later on in the game, which was fantastic, and and that's just what Atletico need. There were a few games last season where, like you mentioned before, kind of really suffering until the very end, and having that vision might just be the key to to unlock those defences and, and set up a chance that last season was a lot more difficult to get. And the season before just didn't happen at all. So I think it's kind of a sign of the the continued progression for Atletico. Throughout La Liga, there's going to be, because of the dearth of forwards that exist, I think all across world football at the moment, the way that the game seems to be changing, that there are going to be heroes that you don't expect. I mean, Mallorca got their first win of the season through Fernino, who was the player on loan from Villarreal. And no one would have expected that he would be necessary and now it seems like coming even to come at the bench that he'll be necessary for Mallorca's chances to stay up. And then for yeah, now talking Real Madrid Levante, 3-3 in that one, basically the opposite game to Atleti against Elche. Uh, but watching them back to back was a little uh, yeah. it was it was it was a little confusing because you didn't know if you're watching the same sport taking place. So Levante, we know they love to the top of the, the big dogs, but Madrid were a Vinicius Jr. Hey, I'm here this year from losing that match. It should be said that Madrid were closer to losing than Levante were to winning. And for all the gloom and doom of Barcelona, it seems like, I, I don't know, it seems like Kules can't accept the fact that Los Blancos keeps telling us. I know that they said that they're going to get Mbappe and Holland. They're both going to show up next week. But I know, but as much as Los Blancos are trying to project that everything is fine, Barcelona are the one on fire. They lost Messi. There's no uh, room for recovery. And Real Madrid are just, you know, they're about to open the door and they're going to be back to their winning ways. It seems like they have as many structural problems or more than Barcelona, particularly along that back line. Because even if they bring Mbappe, he can't play center back. And you are right about Barca's depth. But that's going to be, if Barca's defense is a problem, which people say that's the problem area, what can you say about Real Madrid? 
Well, exactly. I mean, you look at the squads and, I mean, Real Madrid lost Sergio Ramos and Rafael Varane. I mean, that's almost like losing two Lionel Messi's in your defence. I mean, sure, Barcelona lost Lionel Messi. No doubt about it. Best player in the history of, of football. Uh, irreplaceable. But you look at who's left and you say, right, OK, well, Ansu Fati, Memphis Depay and Anton Griezmann. That's a good attacking lineup. Real Madrid, you say, right, you've lost Sergio Ramos and Rafael Varane. Who have we got? Uh, Nacho and Edel Militao. That's not a great, that's not a league winning central defensive pairing. Yeah, last season they did okay. They had a good run, but they're both players who have ups and downs in form. David Alaba can fit in there as well, but they don't have that same level of quality in reserve to, to cover the players they've lost. Clean Amber Bay might come in, but they don't have a problem of scoring goals. Going Benzema does that for fun. Uh, they've got Eden Hazard, they've got Gareth Priya, they've got Vinicius. And if Vinicius suddenly starts scoring, like he seems to have done the last two weeks, and watch out La Liga. But I just think Real Madrid have got some real structural problems, like you said, that it's just poor squad management that you look at the midfield and you've got Tony Cruz, Luka Modric getting older and older, and one day they are going to stop performing to that level. And who do they have to step in now? They've sold Martin Odegaard, we'll have Fede Valverde, who's great, and then Dani Ceballos. Is he going to be kind of a, a title-winning central midfielder? I don't think he's there yet. So I think Real Madrid do have problems, and I don't think their squad is as deep or as strong. So I guess it's going to be a real challenge to to see how they get on. Not so much even in these first weeks, but when the injuries start coming in, players start picking up suspensions to see how they fare when they don't have their strongest eleven available. Yeah, it's so it is so interesting that for Real Madrid, and we've been hosting this show for quite some time, that Denis Ceballos is already 25 years old. Where I remember when he was 21, leaving Real Betis, and Barcelona lost that race, and it was you know across all the pages, and Denis Ceballos was going to be the future of that Barcelona midfield, and be brought in, and he would turn over new leaf, and yet he had to go on loan to Arsenal last year just to get his career back on track. And again, now he's 25 years old, trying to break in, and Martin Odegaard losing that race as well to to. Real Madrid and and losing Marcos Asensio. And then just the ways that, again, a career is not guaranteed, that even though these are big, big prospects in Spain, you know that Barcelona and Real Madrid are always in the fight, especially at the academy level. You should see some of the things that go on at the academy level to make sure one goes to La Masia instead of La Fabrica, just because, yeah. yeah. And it's kind of been a bubble that's been blowing up and almost waiting to burst because, I mean, you see the fees that are being paid. I mean, look at like uh, Alvaro Adriatola. It was a really promising right back at Real Sociedad, but we actually paid something like 40 million euros for him. It's like, well, hang on a second, because this guy's a right back. He might be good, but he's a right back, and we don't know how good he's going to be. And we've seen now, I mean, where is he now? Behind Lucas Vazquez, Dani Carvajal, and Nacho, maybe even fourth choice Real Madrid right back. So with clubs spending that much money and that kind of thing, you almost wonder, would it have been better for Real Madrid to have saved that 40 million, let him progress at Real Sociedad, see how he got on? And then maybe two years later, you sign him for 50 million or you have 40 million in the bank to go for Kylian Mbappe instead now. So it's a bubble that's just been waiting to burst. But there's so much competition that clubs have started spending crazy money. And, and now with COVID, they're starting to pay the price for it. Right. And you wonder if it begins to say something much larger about Spanish football in the same way that Barcelona for a long time, you wonder, hey, this right back we have isn't the same thing as Danny Alves. Well, duh, he's not Danny Alves. Of course not. And then the same thing with Xavi and Iniesta, where why can't this next midfielder be Xavi and Iniesta? Well, of course, they're not going to be Xavi and Iniesta. Yeah. And the same, I think, can be said about Spanish talent in general. But Abra Ruiz, who was knocking in goals at such a torrid rate at the youth levels, you know, he was going to be the next David Villa or the next, well, really the next Fernando Torres. But it just doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. And I think Spain have had so many of these players over, I mean, even Sergio Gomez, who went to Dortmund, it was a big move. And now he's 
uh, is it Tuesca this year, whoever he is this year, uh, he's still trying to kind of find himself. And now already he's 22 years old. Right. And so, yeah, you move too young and, and they aren't ready for it. Effectively. I think there's so much competition yeah. among the big sides to, to get those kind of moves. And then often you see the guys that come through who are the bright talents. I mean, the example that always stands out to me is Rodri, um, guy at Man City now. So obviously he came through a VRL and he said how he chose VRL because he wanted to kind of live in the dorms at the, the youth centre and, and be in Villarreal, a tiny little place. And so he could study his university and college degree and, and do all of that. And then he got the big move to Atleti. That evolved into the big move to Man City. But that's very much not the typical route for a talented youngster in Spain. I mean, we see them all and... And yeah, I mean, there's all these stories of the, the Roberto Saldados, the Alvaro Negrade, Negredos who go through Real Madrid B or, or the Castilla or Barcelona B, and then they move on and they make a decent career. They can play in Primera, they can be a decent player. But how many of those players from these B teams then go on to become kind of first team regulars? And it's it's not that many because so many of them also just skip straight through. I mean, Ansu Fati is a typical case that never really played for the B team. He just went straight from the youth teams through to the first team. So if that's the case, what do these B teams kind of develop other than just populating them with players who are good but are never going to be good enough to play for your first team? Yeah, I mean, we're not going to get into discussion now because we're going to go back to Sevilla. But yeah, I want to wrap that little segment or conversation up by saying the B teams that are now going to be with this new structuring of Spanish football, with that Primera division, uh, with the new third division, if you will, being a bit more uh, competitive than it used to be, and then the fourth division, the second division, Bay taking over in that position, and then the fifth division, in theory, also getting a bit more competitive because you're getting better teams playing one another at that level, or at least competition that is equal to one another. And I think that parity and competition is going to, you'd hope, rise everything up or it just might see everything kind of being brought down to a different level. I mean, that is the, the counter-argument. The worry is that it's going to be the lowest common denominator and that some teams will always play down, if you will. And then Sevilla, I think it's a good transition here because I think Sevilla actually have a worry to play down. We know that Sevilla, well, actually last season, the opposite was that they couldn't get up to, just like Barcelona, they couldn't win the big matches. So they couldn't get the points when they truly needed the points. And then talking about other big newest comers, or Eric Lamella, probably the other biggest newcomer in the league other than DePaul. And Eric Lamella, who, I mean, not to say that he's had a successful career, it's been hot and cold, if anything. It's been very inconsistent with injuries. And I thought that, I mean, at this you know, point, the it's career, race. Be- I mean, the three leading the Pachichi race, Angel Correa, Eric Lamella, and Vinicius. I mean, the three players who are the most hot and cold players in Europe over the last few years. And mm-hmm. they've all started on fire. So Sevilla, we knew that they were going to make it a top four this season, just like they did last year. But do you have faith that they can make it, we'll say even a top three, let's say one of Barcelona Madrid, uh, or Atleti fall off, can they make it a top three or a top two or, or actually be contending, contending, or are we still saying top four? Yeah, I'd say so. I think Sevilla have, have been building up for a few years now. I mean, kind of the very, the Monchi model of let's build the squad up, let's sell the star player, but then we reinvest that money and bring in three, four players who in two, three years could be star players. I think their squad has gradually been improving. I think now they do have a very well-balanced squad, a very strong squad. And I think they're starting to get that kind of mentality that you need, I think, especially in Spain, because you have the big two or maybe the big three, if you include Atleti, where it's, oh, yeah, we can beat everybody else, but then we have to go and play Barcelona at Camp Nou. We have to go and play Real Madrid at the Bernabeu. And I think Sevilla is starting to get that mentality of being a big team, of, of going out there and competing in Europe, winning in Europe. And now in the Champions League, and I think, I mean, I was at the game against Hatafe on, on Monday night, and it was the kind of game that you picture them in a different season, walking away with a nil-nil draw and think, oh, well, Monday night in Hatafe, a point isn't a bad. 
but they were desperate. I mean, Lopetegui was throwing strikers on at the end. Let's go and attack. Let's put Rafa Mir on. Let's go and do everything we can to get that winning goal. And they got it at the very last minute. I think that's kind of the, the mental strength, the mental kind of the ambition that they have to keep pushing. And I think they're building up very sustainably and, and with a squad, which is very strong. I think so much depends on what happens with Jules Conde. If they can keep hold of him, then for me, they're in the title race. I mean, for me, they would be possibly even second favourites behind Atletico Madrid and ahead of Real and Barcelona. If they lose him, then I think that would be a big blow because to lose a player of his importance and his quality so close to the deadline, that's a, that's a huge blow. So I think a lot will have to do with, with that transfer and what happens there. But if they can keep hold of him, for me, they're the definite title contender. Yeah, I mean, you had something on uh, Twitter today about expected goals and looking at the league. And I know it's been two weeks, so it's time for the reactionary takes that, I mean, I've been watching the matches and there is something missing with Spanish football right now. And I'm not sure if that's the narrative being pushed to me by the big brains on the internet that so many players have left La Liga and not just Messi, but around every club that, that Spanish teams are having trouble financially holding on to their players, as we always knew, because you could just, yeah. in for the case of Spain, you just pay that release clause and the player is gone. And that's it. And that's how it is in Spain. And so do you think at this point, we're, we're taking that narrative of a, of a talent drain too far or that the, again, the numbers early on, I don't know how it connects to expected goals, but do you think so far we're not seeing what Spanish football is capable of? And then this whole narrative could be rewritten if the teams that are in the Europa League and Champions League succeed, and that'll change the narrative completely. But at the moment, I don't know, are we reactionary to say that Spanish football is taking a little bit of the dip? And then the hypocritical statement that I always make is that Barcelona can't go, as we saw against the Liga Club, they can't go everywhere on the road in the league and expect a win. Because I always say that Liga teams are really good. And I've pushed for a long time that La Liga, as far as talent, as far as product, should be able to match the Premier League and Bundesliga. And I feel like it does, usually. Are we actually seeing something different? Do you think that narrative is coming through? Yeah, well, I think we kind of saw it starting to kick in in, in the summer towards the end of last season where we saw the, the failures in the Champions League, failures of Real Madrid going out in the semifinals. But it was kind of the Spanish teams aren't as good as they once were. And then Villarreal went and won the Europa League and beat Manchester United in the final. And that shut some people up. And then Messi left in the summer and everything. And we were back there again. But I think Spanish football, as you mentioned, the release clauses does give it a real challenge to to stay competitive when there's so much money in the Premier League. And La Liga teams at the moment are so financially challenged that they can't just say, look, Jules Conde we'll pay you double your wages to increase your release clause and then nobody's going to pay 120 million for you. So I think it's a real challenge. But I mean, early on this season, I mean, I've put a thread up on Twitter and and the biggest concern for me wasn't necessarily that the first two match days have lacked goals. I mean, they've had 19 goals from, from 20 games or something like that. It's, it's not a, a great statistic. Sorry, 38 goals from 20 games. So it's not a great statistic, 19 goals per match day. But then at the same time, the more concerning one is that the XG is is so much lower. I mean, I think the XG is about 49.8 or something like that. And in the Premier League and for Bundesliga, it was 55, 56, 57. That's where the long-term concern will be. But I think with Spain as well, I mean, like you mentioned, it's very reactionary hot take. I think we are in the middle of August. I mean, games in Spain, we had a heat wave yeah. the first week, match day weekend. I mean... You can't be expecting teams to be playing four or three wins in, in 36 degrees heat uh, uh, kind of on a, on a Sunday night at midnight. I mean, it's a real challenge for these players to go out there, especially the guys who've been at Euro, Euros or at Copper America, come back, not had much of a preseason. 
it's a big ask for them to go out there and play in in 40 degrees Celsius, 100 degrees Fahrenheit and and to produce the goods. So it'll be interesting to see over the course of the next few weeks if these numbers start to pick up or if they stay more or less the same. But I think it is a trend in La Liga the last few seasons. We've seen it start to come down, the teams towards the bottom of the league being more defensive with the odd anomaly of your Levantes who are goal crazy. But I think there are a lot of smaller teams who are more defensively focused. And I think we might see that change this year because I think it's so tight in La Liga. From I mean, we have the top three, top four, and then there's kind of four or five teams who will be competing for those European spaces and then pretty much everybody else. I mean, yeah. right now, we wouldn't rule out any of the bottom 10 going down or finishing 10th. So I think there is kind of a real battle there and it'll be interesting to see if those teams start to become more more open and more offensive in kind of your typical game of, I don't know, Tafe Alaves. doesn't sound like a glamour fixture. Yeah. Two years ago, it probably would have been a nil-nil draw. Maybe this season, those two teams say, hey, look, we can, if we win enough of these games, we can finish 10th in the league. Maybe next year we push on and, and start to push for Europe. So let's let's be a bit more open, a bit more offensive. I think we've seen that with, with Tafe watching them against Sevilla. They were pressing very high. They were a lot more offensive-minded. It didn't quite turn into results for them, but they are being more offensive. So it's early days this season. I think we'll be we'll have to keep an eye on it for the next month or so before we can really come to any conclusions. But La Liga does need to pick up its XG and and start to to pick the the speed of games up a bit. But I'm confident as the temperatures drop, as players gain a bit more fitness, then then that will happen. Yeah, I agree with you, Sam. I could barely podcast when it's too hot. I complain about that. My performance certainly suffers as far as just sitting here with a microphone when it's too hot. But yeah, I agree with that point too, that I really am looking, I'm going to hope that I can look forward to matches like Kadith against Rayo Vallecano, knowing what Kadith is last year and expecting something, but saying, hey, Rayo, you're going to be the team that's going to have to get out of its shell. It's fair for these teams like Rayo and for Elche and for Hadafe and Alaves to all get behind the ball when they play against Real Madrid or Barca. But if I'm if I'm Osasuna or Villarreal, I have to look at my team and say, hey, when we play against Kadith, who are built to sit back, or Elche, who are built to sit back, we've got to be the team who is proactive. We have to be the team on the front foot. So I do hope that you do see an occasional, you know, and not, I'm not trying to bury Kadith here because I think Kadith have a defense that is strong enough to keep themselves up again. That's how they kept yeah. themselves up last year and they can do it again. So that's no disrespect. I mean, Atletico uh, Madrid showed you in La Liga that if you're willing to defend, you can have results in Spain. And so I'm not disparaging that, but I'm what I am saying is that I'm hoping that the teams who are or choosing to to say to try to play, to try to play, to go for it. I hope those teams are rewarded with results because I think that will help continue to propel the league into a spot where teams are not just going to sit behind the ball and turn Spain into what we criticize Syria offer being not this decade, but last decade when yeah. it felt like Syria took a step back. No, and I always think back to Paco Jimenez's Rayo Vallecano and kind of their, their glory days. I mean, the days when they would go out there and just say, look, we're going to score one more than you. And if that means the game is going to end 7-6, sure. then, then so be it. So or, yeah, or even Las Palmas. I mean, it's yeah, at the end, Las Palmas. Yeah, there he is again. <laughs> yeah, no, Kikis at the end, Paco Jemez. Kind of that approach is mm. is one that's been disappearing over the last few years, and it'd be great to see it come back. But I mean, that was very much kind of the glory days for La Liga of having Cristiano in Madrid, Messi in Barcelona, and then having your teams like Rayo Vallecano, who you knew that it was going to be a good game, even against the likes of Real Madrid, Barcelona. You knew that they weren't going to come back and put ten players behind the ball. Yeah, we're not there yet. We're not going to see that this season, but I think it would be good to see these teams start to come out of their shell a bit more when they're playing against each other. 
from a psychology mindset, we've actually already heard Athletic Club said we're not afraid of Barcelona. And Kuman has said it in press conferences that without Messi, there is an understanding that teams are not afraid of Barcelona in the same way that teams just aren't afraid of Real Madrid like they used to be. And that is a good thing. But it's also, yes, uh, against the backdrop that the teams that were unafraid of Pep Guardiola's Barcelona and the Cristiano Ronaldo Real Madrid, something can be said for those sides that they were truly were brave. And <laughs> there's a little less bravery now to be required to not be afraid of Barcelona without Messi. So now, Sam, before you go, uh, you also, aside from Atletico Madrid, do staunchly cover Hadafe who are Barcelona's opponent this weekend before the international break begins. So I just want to go over quickly. Brighton set to sign Marco Correa, former La Masia player, basically the one player other than Alenia, who Kules will really, really know. Maybe Jame Mata, he's been around for a while. But yeah, it seems like, as I said, paying his 18 million euro release clause is enough to send him off to Premier League. And that's it for Kukurea in Spanish football. So yeah, they also have lost Bordelas, for better or worse. He's on Valencia. And now they're under Michel, who you said, I thought they played well against Sevilla. But yeah, clearly there, there's something else at Hadafe that they will struggle, right? I, I think I had them probably be relegated this year, but this is not, what is the team that Barca is going to face? And from that perspective with Sevilla then for Barcelona in the international break, should they go all out younger? Should they not say overlook them, but should they trust Gabi for Pedri, Sergio Roberto for Busquets? Is that the kind of lineup that you throw out against Hadafe, especially in the, the situation they're in right now? I say it'd be a gamble to do that, to be honest, because I think Getafe, having seen them against Valencia, having seen them against Sevilla, I think they're not going to be as afraid as they would have been in the past. I think, like we were just saying, I think they will press high. They're going to be a bit more in Barcelona's faces. And maybe for a player, if you have too many players like Gavi in the side, then maybe that's a bit much kind of their first start, having Marla Lombardi, who's a real monster in midfield, right up in your face throughout, is going to be... A big ask. Yeah, leave the 17-year-old alone, please. <laughs> yeah, just yeah. leave his cheekbones alone. We're not in pre-season friendlies anymore. Agreed. But no, I think Hitafi, uh, I've almost been more positive about them this season, having seen them lose two games than I was before seeing them play. I think before I was expecting kind of the transition from Borderlands to Michel to be a bit of a mess for the players, not really to get it, to not have the right players in the squad to be able to play the kind of football that Michel wanted. I don't think that's quite been the case. I think their problem effectively is is that their front line is just not good enough I mean Enizunal and Sandro are just two players who are okay for a team battling relegation and not a lot more and then Jaime Mata coming off the bench he's showing his age increasingly and he's kind of a real target man but that will be the thing for Hedafe I think Barcelona could be fairly confident that Eric Garcia obviously is suspended but whoever steps in for him won't have such a torrid time as as against Iñaki Williams and Athletic but I think that they will have more problems in midfield or breaking down the defence than in defending, I think. That's where the challenges will come because Hitafe do know how to set up a good defensive unit. The midfield is very combative and, and up against, uh, if it's a young Barcelona midfield, then maybe Hitafe could hope to try and play out a draw by winning that midfield battle and just through their physicality. I think they've still got that element to their game. And so it will be an interesting battle. I think it'll be interesting to see what approach Ronald Koeman takes if he if he kind of rests players and, and does like you say. And then with Michel, if he goes for a bit more or if he does change tack following two defeats and say, no, let's just walk away with a nil-nil at Camp Nou and, and say that's a good result. Yeah, I don't want to disappoint people, but there's a 0% chance Ricky Pooh starts that match having not got off the bench in the first two matches. And it's going to be likely... I would say Roberto Busquets and De Jong in the midfield. I, I can't see with Ronald Koeman and the international break coming up, even though those players are going to be heading out, they did get a bit, a little bit of a vacation. They're only playing once a week still. So those midweek games haven't come around the corner yet. So I think we can firmly, firmly expect 
to see those three in midfield. Uh, so, yeah, I, I don't want to disappoint people, but <laughs> it's early on. Hidafi I can so it. picture it already. Uh, Ricky Pudge starting and Mauro Anambali just clattering him in the first minute of the game. <laughs> and that's Ricky Pudge gone silent for the rest of the 90 minutes. Yeah, but at least he's playing, Sam. That's that's the argument for Ricky Pooch today. I am not the biggest Ricky Pooch fan in the world, so we better not get into that debate. <laughs> well, I hope that the people who are, I think the people who are in that army, if you will, they usually don't listen this far into the show. So I, I think that they're, uh, they won't be able to find you because I do ask now for the people who enjoyed your conversation like, like I did, where can people find you and where can they uh, follow your work this season? Yeah, at Sam Leverage on Twitter. And you can also tune in to us on the podcast over at La Liga Lowdown. Yep. So that's non-Barcelona stuff. And it's also non-Real Madrid. So you don't have to jump into that world either. It's it's much more about, uh, I think I've listened to it. It's much more unbiased. And there is an understanding that Atletico Madrid should be the title favorites because they won last year and they could repeat. So to take everybody seriously, and that's what I always ask, if you're going to listen to La Liga Lowdown, do that so that you understand that it's not just about the big two or even Atletico Madrid, the big three. It's that it's a deep league with a lot of rich history. And that's why I always say I enjoy watching Mallorca. I want to try to enjoy watching Cadiz because they're fans or something different. And even Celta de Vigo this year. I can't believe we did the whole thing without talking about Celta de Vigo, Sam. But maybe that's yeah. uh, a, a time again. One of the because- teams to watch. No, but I think it's always the case. And then if somebody between the Clasico two has to win, it's, it's usually better that it's Barcelona rather than Real Madrid. <laughs> well, Sam, we appreciate that. A little bit of panic from Sam here at the end of the show. So we do ask you to click on his name down in the show notes. Give him a follow. Again, follow on at Liga Lowdown as well. Then we're on Twitter and Instagram at the Barcelona Pod. We have a closed Facebook group, the Barcelona Podcast. You can ask questions over there. We have a listener question show and a Patreon show coming up later in the week. So that is going to be something exciting to look out for, our annual Patreon show. So it's also, if you join Patreon to be a part of one of those future shows, it's always, always appreciated to financially help support the show. You can also listen to these without the ads over there. and then. On YouTube, the match reviews are at the Barcelona Podcast. I've been doing a five things we learned, as well as I have something fun coming out about the uh, the, the glorious, magnanimous shirt that is a number 10 shirt at Barcelona with uh, with a dull opinion that might surprise you. So make sure you tune into YouTube. Give us a subscribe there so you see that when that comes out. And most importantly, thanks so much for listening to the Barcelona Podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. And for the Barca. Barca. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.